Hi and welcome again to Control Alt Delete slash Church. This week, Kenny and I are joined by Ian Campbell. Ian, it's brilliant to have you along. Can you tell us a wee bit about who you are and what you've been up to? Uh, so um, I, I paint portraits. Uh, here's some of them behind me. Recently, I was over in Bosnia with the charity Remembering Srebrenica, and uh, it this coming weekend is the 25th anniversary of, of the genocide of Srebrenica, um, which I, I do find a lot of people in the UK um, kind of forget about. Mm -hmm. uh, most people remember that uh, in, uh, in, in Bosnia, that there was the capital, Sarajevo, and that's where the Winter Olympics were in 1984 with Torval and Dean. Um, and and then and then they might remember that, that they used to have well it used to be part of Yugoslavia and we used to get when we were all kids a, a car called the Yugo uh, from there which wasn't great but uh, <laughs> but it was do you know it's it was uh, a place like Sarajevo was just um, a, a kind of modern European multicultural city um, but then uh, neighbours started turning on one another. There was uh, this terrible situation um, where uh, the Bosnian Serbs decided that essentially that they wanted to take over and that there would be this kind of ethnic cleansing of everyone who was Muslim. Uh, so, you know, three decades after we'd said never again uh, with, with World War II, all of a sudden we're in this situation where um, we're, we're, we're seeing this situation of genocide. Uh, and it's quite remarkable. It was, it was incredible being over there and meeting some of the people and, uh, and finding out that little bit more uh, of, of the story. Uh, as, as, well as, as well as those paintings that I've been working on recently, I uh, worked for um, St George's Tron Church of Scotland for three years. I was artist in residence uh, there. And uh, some folks might have might be aware of the the Last Supper painting that I did. Yeah. That's probably the, the best known piece that I did there. But I did a three-year project doing paintings for, um, of uh, a painting for each chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, as part of of that project, which was, was an incredible opportunity. You've been a busy man. Let's say uh, it's good yeah. because you know, you're with to have this. Um, picture of struggling artists who can never get work but you seem to have you've, you've done all right in the last wee while well yeah it takes a lot of pedaling you know <laughs> um but uh, but it's and a lot of time nothing's nothing's going to land in your lap you need to uh, make work and you need to get yourself into situations where people will be interested uh, in in senior work uh, and um the first couple of exhibitions that I did, uh, 2013, 2014, I didn't make a penny from, you know. So it's not the kind of thing where you can just launch into. Uh, there's there's a lot of build up before it's it's going to start paying the bills. So you you know you started off by talking about Srebrenica. The the thing you know as you said, I remember um, I would have been in my uh, oh, late teens, must have been. Uh, around the, the kind of the 90s, early 20s. Um, and the thing that I, I remember that kind of stuck that, that part of the world in my consciousness was actually through a different kind of art, through music. At the time, um, U2 were touring their Zoo TV 
um, stuff. And every night during the show, Bono would phone someone who was in Sarajevo and they would yeah. talk to people who were living uh, in that city uh, and, and all the kind of stuff that they were experiencing. Obviously, some of the, uh, the Zeropa um, album was kind of influenced by that and then the Passengers um, stuff. So art um, around that time was the thing that, that kind of kept that in my conscience at the time. Yeah. I'd known an awful lot about it, some television stuff probably, but it was the music of the time. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, and particularly um, what you two were doing. Um, but you, so 25 years later, mm. um, you were able to visit. So you, you spent some time there um, uh, specifically to, to meet people and to find out about people, but so that you could come back and, and, and tell that story to other people. Yeah, and uh, what Remembering Srebrenica does, it's not, it's not just simply re- about remembering those particular events. They really, the charity really wants to try and get across to people what, uh, what hate does hmm. uh, and where hate comes from. Uh, I was particularly keen to go because um, last August, where I live in, in Govan, uh, we, we had a sectarian riot. Now, I'd, I'd never seen anything like that in my life. I've, I've lived in Govan for 20 years. Uh, grew up in Linwood, you know, and, and there's always been the sectarianism stuff around. You'd see the orange walks and um, all, the, all the different stuff that people in the west of Scotland are very familiar with, but never had I seen anything like that. You know, any time there was a Rangers-Celtic match, anything going on, it was all quite calm. It, sometimes things might be boisterous, but not like that. Um, and we seem to be in a time where... There's political tensions that have have risen up uh, in lots of ways. You know, we can see it in, in different countries all around the world. Things are things are tense, and I wanted to be able to point out from a real example where hate comes from and where hate leads to. You know, so on this on this one day, uh, 25 years ago, in, in the little town of Srebrenica, which was a spa town. You know, it was like Kreef mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, 8,000 men and boys were killed because they were Muslim. Um, and, and it's appalling. And, uh, and, and I was really shocked to learn some of the detail about that. You know, there was uh, UN forces there, but the UN had hardly put anyone in, so they were a bit defenseless when, uh, when the army uh, came rolling in. Uh, so it was, it was, it was pretty shocking to, to find out. Uh, all this stuff. Funnily enough, you'd mentioned about art keeping it alive in your mind. I, I was 19 uh, when the genocide happened. Uh, the, sa- the exact same age as this guy behind me, Hassan, um, he was born three days before me and, and he had a twin brother who was murdered uh, in, in this act of genocide. You know, there should be two guys that look just like that. Mm. Um, but he was 19 and I was 19 at the time. And, and I, I think of what my life was like back then. I, I was studying at art school uh, and I was aware a little bit of what was going on in Bosnia through the arts because Peter Housen was the official uh, war artist for the UK at the time. And he painted a, a whole load of stuff, which really, really, really harrowing paintings. Mm-hmm. But they stuck in my mind. And I always thought if I ever had a chance to do something a bit like Housen did, 
I would really jump at the, at the chance. But not just trying to depict the war as it was, but um, about what, what are the people's lives like now. You've made a couple of videos and we're going to see one of those um, just now. Brilliant. I travelled to Bosnia in November with the charity Remembering Srebrenica Scotland and I've painted portraits of some of the people I met. Kadifa is part of the Mothers of Srebrenica Association, a group of women campaigning for justice to be done and the truth to be told about the Srebrenica genocide, the worst massacre in Europe since the Holocaust. Kadifa fled to Srebrenica in 1992 when the Bosnian War started, just two days after giving birth. She begged her husband to leave her behind as she could hardly walk. He said, I will carry you, but I will not leave you. And they walked together for 22 days through the forest. Srebrenica was designated a safe area by the UN in 1993. The area used to have less than 10,000 residents, but by then it was under siege and packed with about 60,000 people, mainly Muslim refugees. On the 11th of July, 1995, Bosnian Serb forces attacked Srebrenica. The Dutch UN troops there to protect the town failed to stop the assault. Thousands of men and boys who didn't believe the UN would protect them tried to walk through the hills to reach a free territory. The vast majority were unarmed. Khadifa's husband was among the men who tried to flee. She never saw him again. The men and boys who stayed were killed. The Bosnian Serb army slaughtered more than 8,000 Muslim men and boys. More than 20,000 women were raped during the war. Khadifa became a widow at 27. Her husband's body was found 18 years later and laid to rest at the Srebrenica Memorial Centre. The mothers of Srebrenica have never sought revenge and have never acted with hatred. They say that hatred is a sign of weakness which they refuse to give in to. All they ask for is justice and truth. So, um, with that painting, the lady in that one, Kadifa, she's part of uh, this group, the Mothers of Srebrenica. And, you know, there's all these women left behind, uh, husbands, sons, all killed. Um, and there, there's been this group for the, the past 25 years of these women fighting for justice. Uh, that the, the truth would be told about the incidents because there's still people who are genocide deniers. Uh, and that still goes on to this day in, in neighbouring areas uh, in the region, uh, which is, is quite frightening, something that's a fact in international law people will, will completely try and dismiss. Um, but uh, there was, yeah, I, remembering Srebrenica do a great job. They take quite a lot of folks, so maybe four trips a year, um, and quite often they'll have politicians going out. I think Nicola Sturgeon, Ruth Davis, and Joanne Lamont—you know, loads of them have uh, have been out. So a lot of the the MSPs have have really been getting a, a handle on this this story. Prince Charles was supposed to be out there very recently, but of course, just about everything on planet Earth has been cancelled. Um, and uh, meeting these women was it's really quite really quite incredible because they're, they're very matter of fact about 
the things, the terrible, terrible things that they had to experience. Um, and they're, what's really important to them is that they're not out for revenge and they're not, um, they're not hating. Um, and, and they really see uh, hatred as a sign of weakness. So that's, that's, they, they try and remove that from their motivations and just looking for justice to be done and truth to be told about, about this situation so that it won't happen again. You know, that people will understand uh, what happens when, when people hate. Some of these women are still waiting for their, their relatives, their husbands and their sons and their brothers to be identified, aren't they? There's an ongoing DNA project. Yes, um, and I actually painted uh, a woman who, I'll be releasing a video of her tomorrow actually, uh, who has for the past 14 years been doing DNA testing. Um, and every year um, on the Memorial Day, they have another round of uh, people being buried uh, and, and sometimes it's a very small part of their body sometimes it's a leg bone that's being buried and, and and they're hoping that eventually other parts will be found because the bodies were put in mass graves and then they tried to uh, the army tried to hide the evidence so all, all the, the graves were dug up you know with with diggers uh, and, and dumped in other places and then dug up again and, and rehid. So things, sometimes bodies would get scattered over five different sites. Um, but they've got the biggest DNA testing facility in the world uh, over in Bosnia. Um, it's in a town called Tuzla, which it, it was where they had a refugee camp uh, back 25 years ago. Um, and the lady I met, uh, who's the, the, the doctor over there doing most of the work, her work is, as well as reuniting people with their lost loved ones, uh, and they can have that closure, her work's used in uh, the, the war crime trials as well. It's quite astonishing. Really interesting hearing you both talk about your memories of it, because mm. obviously I'm a different generation, but it's the first... That and Rwanda were the two first big news stories that I can remember as a child. Like mm. Srebrenica and the war in Yugoslavia and Rwanda were, and genocide was a thing that I became very aware of at a very young age. Yeah. And I'm also in quite an interesting position because Ian Bonamy, Lord Bonamy, um, is a Motherwell man. He went to South DL, my old church, and was one of the judges at the war crimes trials. Oh, wow. He was he was the sitting judge and presided over, I've just looked up his Wikipedia page, hence why I'm looking this direction, folks. Um, he was the he presided over the trial of Serbian President Milan Milutinovic, and also he was appointed to preside over the preparations for the trial of Radovan Karadzic. And he went to my church. So it's really interesting when you hear, because my mum and dad knew him from being members and things, and it's fascinating how these things come back to roost sometimes. Mm. You get someone like that who grew up in Motherwell, went to my high school, and was the trial, you know, was the, the judge at the internet at the in, in the Hague for it. You know, it's quite it's an interesting way it all comes back round. It it really is, and I I think it's just so hard to imagine because it's a place that people go on holiday. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's not far away. It's it's you know, often I think you know, Kenny mentioned Rwanda that um you know Rwanda's a far away place with people who don't look much like us. Yeah. And so it's really easy to externalise that kind of thing and say, you know, that happened far away and that could never happen here. Mm. Um, Bosnia's just over there. You know, it's not I, far I, away. And the people... Yeah, and, and they've got McDonald's and they've got Zara the clothes shop, do you know? Yeah. Um, and if, if you're in Sarajevo, the capital city, very close together, there's a great big cathedral, there's a great big mosque, there's a great big synagogue. People lived side by side very happily. Uh, it's, it's, you know, and they had they had the Winter Olympics. You can still go up the um, to to where the the ski slopes were, and uh, what, what do you call those the ski big, jumps? Yeah, uh, the, the big carriage they take you up on on ropes. Oh yeah, and no, and the, the cable cars and stuff, cable cars and gondolas, and yeah, yeah, all that. You know, all that's there. Great place. Yeah, uh, and and then there was this horrific scenario. Um, and you know, and, and there's things that people don't like to talk about as as well as the uh, eight thousand plus men murdered. Um, the the numbers are very vague on the thousands of women who were raped, uh, and it's a horrible subject to talk about. But the the numbers I'd seen written down were that between twenty thousand. And fifty thousand women were raped during the war, um, and and that's really hard for me to get my head around. And it, and it was used as an act of war, uh, and as an act of genocide. Uh, truly horrific. And and so difficult to to then continue to live in that place with those people. Um, oh yeah, you know, and and to. To as you were saying, to, you know, to 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 try and move forward, but not to do it in a hateful way and to want mm. revenge, because you, you know, can imagine that that's that would be the first thing that everybody wanted is revenge rather than justice. And justice is a very different kind of beast, doesn't it? That um, you know, the, the the telling of the truth so that things can be better, mm. uh, as well as as those who are guilty, you know, should face face punishment for for what happened and, and they have um, and you know the, the kind of the war crimes trials were, were groundbreaking um, and, and and even to then I mean I remember watching some of the, the particularly the kind of the ends of them and the, the leaders involved were adamant that they had done nothing wrong oh. you know and, and and really didn't see why what, what the problem was you know they had you know and, and, and it just as you said, it beggars belief. Um, but these people still live in that place with the same neighbours and, and they've managed to work it out to, to, yeah. to a greater or lesser extent. You know, they, they, they've managed to, um, through the telling of the truth and uncovering of what happened, um, they've, they've managed to to move on and work it out and 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 continue to live which you know would have been incredibly easy i think for for people to face in those kind of circumstances either just to leave completely or to give up completely and to live very bitter lives mm. and that's not what you discovered at all no no uh i think one of the things that i find 
the most challenging and and you you see it in other places is that those who have done terrible things convince themselves that they're doing the right thing yeah and that's that is one of the most frightening things bad guys don't think they're bad guys they think they're the good guys mm-hmm. uh, and i don't know how to to get past that with a lot of folk but i i guess what what i'm trying to do with the art rather than put up an argument is trying to make people curious and draw them into a conversation rather than bashing them over the head uh, with with facts probably the best example i could give you of that is when i was working in st george's tron uh, when i started on the first painting project with um uh, our last supper uh, the cafe in the church had, had just opened uh, and people would uh, well do you know how it is on buchanan street it's a it's, it's a busy busy street it's the busiest street in scotland under normal circumstances. I recently saw someone with a, a film of a deer running up yeah. Buchanan Street. So it's been a wee bit different recently. But under normal circumstances, it's the busiest street in Scotland and the second busiest street in the UK, second only to Oxford Street in London. So uh, if Starbucks is kind of full, people will just look around for the next thing that says cafe. So the church opens up a cafe in a busy place. People will wander in and give it a go. Uh, and I'd be I'd be working away on this paint, and people would get their cappuccino and their scone and all that kind of thing. And then sometimes people would be curious enough to wander over and ask me, "Is that is that the Last Supper?" They would realise there was thirteen people getting painted around the table. And the next question was always inevitably, "Which one's Jesus?" Every single time uh, they would ask that. Now, when I when I started that painting, I was I was doing it just on Saturdays. And every Saturday, there was a, a guy preaching out on the street. You've probably passed by him if you've been yes. in the town shop, shopping. He'll have a loudspeaker and shouting into the loudspeaker. Um, most people are trying to just avoid this guy. Sometimes there'd be kids with skateboards heckling him. Um, but, you know, people are trying to give this guy a wide uh, berth. You know, they're trying to just dodge this fella. He thinks he's doing a good job shouting about Jesus and people are ignoring him. But when given an opportunity to be curious, people want to know more and they come up themselves and ask. And I had so many conversations with Joe Public uh, about Jesus because they started the conversation. And that was something I learned uh, a lot. It was uh, that that was that was really quite exciting actually seeing that art could make people curious enough to want to know more uh, rather than shoving it in their face they they were asking the questions and it helps that you're up for that conversation you know that you know famous yeah. artists can be incredibly tortured and introverted <laughs> and, and and you're not you know you're you're you you know you're you're happy to chat to to anybody that comes into the cafe and you know you're not bothered that people are in and interrupting your work or you know that kind of stuff that that, that conversation is part of the process for you isn't it yeah and, and that did become a kind of like a three-year-long performance art piece mm. uh which was great and I, I really enjoyed that um it's it's a very different way to work uh but it was we we knew that it would be part of the project right from the start and, and we built that in 
uh, and that was that was really enjoyable. I, I I got a big buzz out of that. So that that painting is of a guys who are. Well, you tell us who are they? Yeah. yeah um, so the cafe in the church was working in partnership with uh, Glasgow City Mission uh, and Bethany Christian Trust. So a, a couple of nights, uh, I went down to uh, Glasgow City Mission. They've got the soup kitchen on and uh first time i went down i just kind of hung out and got an apron on and dishing out soup and having a blether with folks next time i went i went down with a camera and uh you and one of the staff working down at the mission he uh had a had a chat with some of the guys uh because he knew them uh, and said look we're going to be doing this project uh in this church doing a last supper painting looking for people to be in it so we got 13 guys that were uh that that were interested in that so the, the people that that ended up being in that painting was just whoever happened to be there on the night uh which was exciting and i was very tempted to try and plan things meticulously in advance but that's that doesn't work if you're working with, with guys who are going through homelessness you yep. just need to kind of roll with it and and see how it how it goes uh, which is quite exciting because there's there's something that the model brings to it uh, that you can't plan in advance. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that part of the process. That was, um, I've got a print of that painting. Yeah. I've got a print, I've got several prints of, of your paintings. Um, but um, that that for me, um, it's a really powerful image for you know people can go and you know there's a there's a picture of it on your website and we'll we'll put the link in the the show notes so people can go and have a look at it. Um, but the thing I love about it is the ordinariness of mm -hmm. it. You know we have this kind of view. You know Da Vinci's Last Supper where everybody's sitting on this the same side of the the, the table. A table for twenty six instead of thirteen. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, that kind of these guys are sitting round a table. They're eating crisps and sandwiches and you know, drinking cans of juice and all that kind of, you know, it's a, it's such a normal meal. Mm. Um, but it's not because I know that these guys are all homeless, mm. you know, and for them to gather around the table and to sit together and to eat together isn't a normal experience mm -hmm. for them. Um, and no, it, and it's I, I sporadic, had, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I really had uh, Matthew chapter 25 the whole time I was taking the photographs and working on the painting uh, when Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. So the, the question would always come up with, uh, with people. They would ask, oh, which one's Jesus? And I would never give a straight answer to that because actually the truth is any one of these people could be Jesus. Yeah. Because uh, whenever the poorest folks, and that's the, some of the poorest people in Glasgow, um, are in front of you then somehow, and I don't quite get it, but I don't know if I need to, but somehow Jesus is involved in that conversation. Mm -hmm. So do you work from photographs then? Do you, so is that how you, you don't paint live almost, like you take the photograph and... Generally, yeah. Um, uh, particularly with, with that piece, um, there's no way you'd get the same guys twice uh, with with the homeless guys um it would just it would never quite be uh the same thing the um getting them to sit still long enough just for the photographs was a challenge 
yeah, you'll always have somebody moving or someone doing something. It's like uh, I deliberately had to learn a lot more about photography over the years uh-huh. to work on portraits, um, and it's handy because if if I've taken some decent shots, then uh, I can be working on a, a painting at home at, mm-hmm. at ten o'clock at night. I, I don't need people to to continually be there. And uh, thankfully, just before lockdown, I. I a whole load of photographs I'd taken uh, for some paintings that I'm working on just now. Um, and uh, yeah, because getting models just now just just wouldn't have been possible. Although a friend of mine has been doing a self-portrait every single day. That'd be good Wait. if you weren't going to cut your hair or like shave your beard. Kenny went through a stage, if you look at the first episode, yeah. Kenny's your trimmer yeah. broke very early on. It, so <laughs> it broke the weekend before lockdown. <laughs> you um, you mentioned uh, your first exhibition. Uh, was that Manasoros? Yes, that's right. right. So that that fascinated me for a, a range of reasons. Um, firstly, that somebody that I used to work with could paint and have an exhibition. I thought that was great because um, that was a, like a secret thing at the time. Um, I knew you were an artist, but you know, all of a sudden you're like an actual artist with yeah, yeah, yeah. paintings and stuff. Um, but but it was about Noah, wasn't it? Well, there was a bit of that in there. There was a there was a few different themes. There, there was this perpetual theme with some of the paintings, not all of them, um, with these figures floating in, in water. Uh, and I was at the time really struggling with with the idea of the Noah's Ark story, um, which is a genocide story that we turn into a children's story. We're all happy animals. Uh, smiling and waving at you, but it's 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 really quite horrific, mm-hmm. uh, and I think people need to delve into these stories a bit more. Um, there's there's a lot of stories that we only use as children's stories in the Bible, but they're a lot deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've recently been reading and rereading the story of Jonah. Um, and doing a wee bit of study on it and realising that some people have, have classified it as a satire. You know, it's almost like Gulliver's Travels. Uh, and, you know, th- there are things to, to be rediscovered looking again and again and again at the Bible. Uh, that, that always, there's always something that takes me by surprise. And things to wrestle with, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, and art, art does that, you know, all of a sudden... You know, you, you you know, I hadn't seen the pictures, and all of, you know, you're kind of saying, well, you know, these are these these remind me of the story of Noah, and it's yeah. bodies floating in the water. And I'm thinking, I've never thought of that before. I don't know why I've never thought of that before. You know, because you know, in a in a big flood where everybody's killed, then that's obviously what's going to happen. Except you don't. You filter all of that kind of stuff out, um, and it it's amazing. I think you know the the, the power of art, and obviously that's something that that you've discovered. Um, uh, and, and your kind of public art life mm. is that that these stories challenge people to look at something differently, and so you you know your Last Supper these, these stories you know paintings of of people in the water and and people who are sad you know there's mm. some incredibly uh, moving images in that in that exhibition of you know men crying which nobody ever nobody mm. ever sees. Um, you know that we keep those things so private, and then to to display them publicly allows people to to connect with those emotions and to start to ask questions about well, what, what does this mean for me? Yeah. What does it mean for society? What what does that tell me about God and all that kind of stuff? It's it's an incredibly powerful gift 
to be able to give to people, isn't it? Mm, and there was one of the paintings in the St. George's Tron series where the, there was a woman with a black eye that I painted. And uh, it's, it's really interesting how people react and don't react to that. Um, because generally, uh, in media, you're not supposed to show women not looking nice. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a stark image, a harrowing image. Um, you know, and, the, and it's a woman who had a, a lot of stories to tell. Um, but yeah, it's very challenging. And, and I, I like to be able to have chances to get people to stop and think and reflect on things that aren't maybe always at the forefront of their mind. The, that whole project, so to paint all of the stories and look, um, is massive. You know, it's, a, it's such an undertaking. Um, but to, uh, to have to stop and, and you know, read, that, read each story and think, you know, this is three or four lines sometimes. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, kind of a couple of paragraphs. What would that look like? And then to think about, well, what would that look like now? Yeah. You know, and to, to find a way to represent that so that it, it tells a story from that, that we can connect with. So these are these are all people that you've, you know, these, the, the models that sat for you, mm. that you've placed into these biblical stories. Mm. Um, but but they're all, paint, you know, none of them are, are you know, imagined 2,000 years ago. They're all somewhere in Glasgow. Um, you know, so how, how, how did that process work for you? That was a really interesting one because I think it's, it's not a million miles away from what a preacher does on a Sunday where they have to get a story to connect with people uh, in the here and now. And some, some of those paintings came about very easily. Uh, some of them came about kind of by accident. Uh, right at the start, I had was making very, very deliberate, planned, conscious choices. One of the first paintings I did was the Annunciation. So there's a woman who was portraying Mary, um, and I looked at a lot of the historical paintings. Uh, so there's a lot of historical elements that were, were put into that. Um, so th th there was very deliberate choices I was putting in there, and then had to find a model to, to go in. As the project went on, I was very influenced by the people I was meeting in the church community and in the cafe community. And um, we were talking earlier about a friend, Fiona Morrison, who's in one of the, the paintings, and she was going through chemotherapy. And she's uh, an elder in the church. Um, and under normal circumstances, had very long flowing dark hair and uh, then had, had less, less hair than I do. Um, and she came up to me one day and said, hey, I'm not going to look like this much longer because I'm about to have my last chemo session. Is it any use for a painting? And of course I said yes. Didn't know which one it was going to be at first, uh, but I knew that there would be a way to work that in. You know, and people take things that are in front of them and, and they'll put them into their, their sermons and use it as an illustration. And I decided in that instance to, uh, I was, was thinking about uh, when Jesus talks about worry 
uh, and you know look at the look at the flowers and look at the birds and and they don't worry. And I had to, I had to hold that intention with a situation that everybody's familiar with, whether they've gone through cancer themselves, whether it, whether they're thinking about a loved one who's gone through cancer or is going through cancer. You can't not worry. And there's no way to tie a neat bow on that theologically. You just need to sit with the tension that here's this, and it's hard to reconcile. We're told, don't worry, and you can't not worry. And we just need to sit in the middle of it. Um, so meeting people was always a constant inspiration. Um, and I think the most important thing about that for me, taking inspiration from the people that I would meet, there would I was always looking for something where I could see God reflected in a person. This idea that we're all created in God's image. Uh, and I really believe that there's something that I can learn about God from every single person that I meet that I couldn't learn from someone else. That it's kind of like uh, a, a different portrait of God. Um, you know, if, if, if you're a, a, a sketch of God uh, and it's, it's a different sketch than anyone else, what can I see here? Uh, and, and I'm always just trying to explore that question with, with any portrait that I'm doing. That's a wonderful idea. Um, and I, I guess what painting a portrait allows you to do is look closely in a way that, that other people don't. You know, we, we, even the people that we know and we love, we don't examine their faces in the way that you will because you have to, to, to look to paint you know, and, and to to see them in a way that other people just won't see each other. Yeah. Yeah. And funnily enough, in 2014, the exhibition that I had in Edinburgh at the Scottish Storytelling Centre, I called it A Closer Look. Um, and it was in September 2014. It was the same time as the, the independence referendum. And somehow I'd managed to persuade politicians to sit for paintings. Uh, and I had three of, of the political leaders, Nicola Sturgeon, Ruth Davidson and Joanne Lamont, uh, Lamont who was um, Scottish Labour leader at the time, uh, painted their portraits. And they were three foot square canvases, really, really big. So literally, you're look, looking closer. Um, but there's an obvious metaphor in there, because I, I, there's lots of political debates where people get quite tribal about. And there's always more to consider and to think about and trying to see things from from different perspectives uh, and understand the, the full picture uh, so yeah that, that looking closely idea is really important to me there was a, a moment around that time um, which was fact as you say it was a fascinating time in scottish uh, history um, mm. particularly in scottish life and you know for you to manage to to persuade these three political leaders uh, to sit for you i think mm. you know, says wonders about your persuasive powers <laughs> but there was a moment i remember uh, they used to talk to each other on twitter like they were pals yes which was lovely you know there's a very different kind of even though they were the sometimes the fiercest of political enemies they spoke to each other like pals mm. you know and they would invite each other along to their office to watch the tennis or something like that you know? I, I remember that yeah really kind of human 
kind of things that that um, in some way I think that the three the three pictures capture because they they don't look in any way serious mm. in them. You know, they've they've all got a, a kind of openness about them, which which really captures that kind of moment. Even though we were in the middle of this great big political conversation about the future of Scotland, and they really really disagreed about what should be happening, um, but they still seem to treat each other as as people. They saw each other, which you know I think your your paint really reflected. Mm. Um, you seem to paint people on the edges, apart from these these three women who are right at the centre of power. Mm. Um, most of your most of your stuff. Um, has been about people on the margins, you yep. know. So the, the the guys from the the city mission, the the people of Srebrenica. Um, you are the affiliate artist to the UNESCO Chair of Refugee Integration through Languages and Arts. Yes, it sounds very posh, but it means again that you get to paint people whose voices are often uh, either in danger of being not heard or or have been silenced. Yeah, and I think what specifically interesting about painting a portrait uh with with those kind of folks normally when someone's getting their portrait painted it's because they're really important it's the mm -hmm. queen that gets her portrait painted do you know um i've not got around to her yet but uh you know someone like our, our current queen has had at last count 93 official portraits so that's kind of what you're saying, that I value you. You are important um, to, to, to spend time uh, and effort uh, looking at, at your face. Um, and that's, that's been really interesting, just to be able to, to bring some attention to people who could be more invisible. Uh, something I was really proud of last summer was uh, through in Edinburgh, around about the time of the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, I, I was asked by the Royal Society of Edinburgh, who've got their headquarters in George Street, to do some portraits. Now, they've been commissioning portraits for hundreds of years. Their members go back to Sir Walter Scott and people like that. And the last time they commissioned a portrait was... Professor Peter Higgs of Higgs Boson fame. Um, and out, throughout the history of all their paintings, um, they'd had one woman and everyone was white, uh, which is not a great surprise if you're talking about historical paintings. However, I was really proud of the organization. They were trying to move forward and they'd specifically um, had a, a group of new members who were all from refugee backgrounds. Uh, so I, I got asked to paint five of them. Uh, and there was one of the folks, Deborah Kayembe, who's a, a lawyer through in Edinburgh, originally from um, Congo. And she'd say, she said out loud what was in the back of my mind, I will be the first black face on those walls. And she really admired the paintings. And it was quite uh, quite incredible for her to be included in that, and it was incredible for me to be the painter uh, doing that. So it's you know it's it's nice to be able to be part of uh, pointing to people who aren't normally in the spotlight. 
and that you know that all through that project to the gospel of luke you've done that you know you've you've uh, there are there are women and men from all parts of the world um represented uh, you, you've chosen people you know the, the kind of the, the least likely um which you know i think is an incredibly biblical thing to do you know that the, the stories are all about these least likely people um and yet sometimes you know you, you in the kind of history of art that you know it's it's a bit like the, the royal society's paintings you know that they're they represent you know these gospel stories of of people with opulence and riches and you know the folk weren't like that you know that that jesus was talking to the poor and the marginalized and um it, it's just brilliant to see that uh, those people, those voices, those faces, um, held up to us and and kind of reflecting back what we see. You know, it's it's one of the, um, I suppose, the things that I, I love about particularly Glasgow, but Scotland as a whole. That that Glasgow in the whole has has uh, really embraced people who've come to live here from wherever they've come, um, and and your art reflects that. You know, that yeah, it's exciting to be part of that, and you know, I love Glasgow, uh, and it's yeah. it's a it's a very yeah. honest city. Um, the sun's rising, and it's across and, the horizon, and all that sort of know, stuff. Even yeah. the artwork that you'll see painted in the streets, there's a, a, a gable end, great big mural that's St Mungo, uh, and it, and it's someone chose to paint a guy who was homeless as as St Mungo, and it's it's. It's great, um, yeah, and, and I think it's uh, it, it's it's a city that is is very happy to <laughs> to ask questions and to to kind of poke at things uh, and not just accept things because they've always been like that. And, it's, and I hope that's a tradition that will continue. Yeah, and allows you know and the, the, one of the reasons for this podcast is to ask the question: What next? Yeah, uh, and I suppose. One of the things that art does is is allows us to to explore some of those questions in a way that is not as threatening as sitting down having a you know you know a strategy meeting or or you know a, a kind of a conference about it because what what you're doing is you're you're inviting a question. It's always about inviting a question. You know, art's about saying, well, what does that mean to me? Yeah. That allows me to to give my response to that, whereas someone else's response might be different, and then we can have a conversation about that where neither of us need to be wrong. Yes, which is wonderful. It, it's nice, and with the paintings I was doing in St George's Tron, everybody had something to say, uh, and ev everybody could join in the conversation because there's stuff in front of you, and you look at it, and you you see what you see, and you say what you think. Uh, and uh, so many conversations started with that Last Supper painting. Um, the second uh, most common question after which one is Jesus was, uh, why are they all men? Which is a perfectly good question. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't just trying to represent the Last Supper as, as was, uh, you know, I, I'm really interested in the act of communion as a sort of, uh, as it being almost like a play mm -hmm. where the cast is forever changing and we're mm -hmm. swapping people in and out all the time and, and this is getting reenacted again and again this Last Supper. Um, 
So uh, it was. It's, it's always a really valid question. Why? Why are there no? Uh, why are there no women in, in that picture? And the, the actual answer was really, really simple. Glasgow City Mission work with men and women separately because most of the, the women have been horribly abused who are accessing their services. So right. all the women uh, were on the first floor rather than the ground floor, and there was only and, about four of them, whereas the there was about The thing that doesn't get lost in me is the irony of the, the fact kitchen. that those people would quite So that, that was a very practical baby. Uh, and a thing, thing full of straw but, because that's what uh, happened in the gospel. Th- there's always a question. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. I remember one guy was really upset about the painting. Uh, I wasn't even in the sanctuary. I, I was having my lunch just have, and working on my computer uh, in the little office upstairs. And Beth, the cafe manager, came up and she looked kind of exhausted. And she said, there's this guy downstairs that wants to speak to the artist. And he's upset. Okay, here I come. And um, so went and spoke to this very agitated man. And, uh, and so I asked him what he was thinking about the painting. And he, he, his eye, he thought mm-hmm. that the painting, that the, the table in the painting should be infinite so that there was space for everyone to sit on it, to sit at it. And I said, yeah, I think that's, that's a great idea. It's just not what I did in this painting. And I explained to, to him why I did what I did in this painting. But because it, we didn't need to disagree, the argument was gone. It could just be a conversation where, oh, you've made an interesting point. I like what you're saying. That's an interesting way of looking at things. And here's why I did it this way. Uh, you know, if I was doing it again, it would probably be completely different. Yeah, it would, because, you know, for a start, the guys around the table would be different. They'd know, be different that, guys. You know, as you said, you know, the people coming in and out of the scene would be would be completely different. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I'm very glad to, to know that some of those guys who are in that painting are doing okay. You know, some of them have, have got jobs, and the, I know one guy, he got married, and he came in, and his new wife showed me their wedding photos. Things move on for people. They don't move on for everyone, though. Yeah. One of the... One of the criticisms around that painting at the time, and I remember having a conversation with you about it um, at the time, was that <laughs> folk were getting really upset that you had chosen to paint these people. And there was issues around uh, folk were saying, oh, you know, that it's about their power and all that kind of stuff. And I remember having a chat with you and um, you'd been really honest about, well, you know, I asked them and they said yes. You know, but other people were uh, imposing all these views on what had happened. Um, and whether or not, you know, in some way you were exploiting people or, or mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, Which is a good question. It's a great question, isn't it? It is, you know, and, and you know, your work, because it, 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 um, it captures people who are in some way often powerless, it's a great question to ask about what you do. So how, how, does, that, how does that dynamic work in, in what you do? Before I started that painting, um, yeah. Uh, that was that was something I was really concerned about, actually. Um, and there was a few people that I spoke to uh, a lot about it. I had a cup of coffee with uh, Martin Johnson one day, who at the time was running the Church of Scotland's priority areas stuff. Um, and um, you know, we we talked about motivation and what was what was the motivation for for that painting. And uh, at the time, there was 
a, a few TV shows that people were describing as poverty porn. There was a thing called Benefit Street and a few other things like that. And they were exploitative, you know? Um, but first and foremost, uh, if, you're, if you're trying to show people uh, with dignity uh, rather than taking advantage of them for your own means, that if that is the guiding light, then uh, then it's probably going to go okay. Uh, but m motivations always need to be interrogated. It's, it's always a good question. Yeah, yeah. Does it? Does that kind of? Because that could have put you off. Oh, I. You know, that that could have been the last time that you ever painted a group of people like that. You know, because mm -hmm. it, it, you know it was. I think in any line of work. Uh, you know, we're, we're susceptible to criticism. You know, I think, yeah. I've, I've, you know, I, I, as, a, as a minister, occasionally people will say, I didn't like that. And that's the thing that you hold on to. Um, and being an artist must be difficult because, you know, there's an element of taste that goes oh, along yeah. with this, isn't there? You're just kind of like, I, I don't like your paintings. You know, I'm not saying I don't like you, but I don't like your paintings. And But people feel that they can express that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when I when I started the project at first, uh, there was there was one person who was part of the congregation who really didn't like the work, really didn't like the work, uh, and I I think she was hoping um, that an art project in the church would, uh, you know, those posters that you get in the uh, the Pauline bookshop. Uh, where everyone's kind of like a coloured in version of the Good News Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and they've all got their arms up. Yeah. Uh, and everything's kind of nice the rainbow rising colors. and there's a cross in the horizon and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. I think she thought that's what she was getting. Um, I, I'd already done the Last Supper painting, so, uh, I, but she was, she was really quite concerned that a, a lot of the, the paintings were really kind of miserable. And, you know, <laughs> they were. Uh, I, I was trying not to point out that, do you, do you know the good guy dies in this story? <laughs> I don't want to, spoiler alert. Um, but uh, even, even though she was really concerned at, at first, her, her thoughts came around. And the, I remember there was, there was one particular a painting I did where, where I painted someone who was sort of in the same generation as her. And I don't know, just something really, there was a light bulb moment. For, for some people, when it, talking about taste, um, there was one painting I did um, that a few, a few people were kind of horrified uh, about. There was a newborn baby that I painted. Um, now, I, for, for the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, it was really important for me that the birth of a child would look like the birth of a child. So a good friend of mine, Chris Hoskins, he'd taken photographs at his son's birth. He'd got permission from uh, the folks uh, who, who were working in, in the hospital. And he had this incredible shot of his son just born, umbilical accord still, still attached. And I, I got in touch with him and asked, what would you think about me doing a, a painting of, based on this photograph? And him and his wife just loved the idea. So, so that went ahead. Uh, and interestingly, 
uh, Alistair Duncan, who's the minister at St George's Tron, he loved the idea too, you know, and he's got kids and, and now he's got grandkids. Um, and I think anyone who'd actually been there at the birth of a child really loved the painting. Uh, but folks who had a kind of mythological idea about what new babies and, and what a baby Jesus should look like were mm. utterly horrified. Because it's, it's uh, someone coming into the world is a shocking experience for everyone involved, yeah. especially if you're doing it for the first time, do you know? Um, so, I, and I wanted to capture just a little bit of that shock of the new. Uh, so, uh, it, now and again, uh, it's not that bad to to ruffle a couple of feathers or something like that. Yeah, the story you're telling the guy in that did that quite often, didn't he? That Jesus Aye. guy was, was yes. quite good at um, ruffling a few feathers and, and I suppose the, the thing that doesn't get lost in me is the irony of the fact that those people would quite happily put a newborn baby in a thing full of straw because that's what happened in the gospel as if that's okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah and so it, it, it's there's been some quite there's been some quite fun moments uh like that over the time um but yeah it was it was a, a really fun project to do um and uh, I'll, I'll never, uh, I guess the, the biggest takeaway that I'll always have from that project is that if a church can do anything to, to make um, the people in the community that it's part of interested, it's, you know, make them curious about something. Mm -hmm. uh, give, give people a sense of welcome uh, and make them curious. That's that's my, my two biggest takeaways from from that project. What's um what's happened to that work? So people people can see it, can't they? Uh, a wee bit tricky just now because yeah. uh, we're in lockdown. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you, all the paintings are on my website, so they can be they can be seen like that. Um, uh, the 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 theory is that St George's Tron, where where they have a permanent home will always kind of have a, a sort of rolling exhibition and at different times and different seasons, put out different uh, paintings. Um, there was supposed to be for the Edinburgh Festival, um, Russell McClarty was wanting to take all the paintings through to his church in Edinburgh to have a, a full exhibition of them there. So there's, there's ongoing conversations about the paintings going to, to different places and, and we deliberately um, got packaging for, for them all, these kind of foam corners that go on the frames and cardboard boxes to put them all in. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, you know, if you've, if you've got a, a van, uh, you can probably borrow them, if you can sort out the insurance <laughs> and all that kind of thing. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so that, that period has ended for you. So mm -hmm. Yep. The, the kind of, uh, so two questions. Um, what's lockdown like for an artist? Uh -huh. That's the first question. So how's, how's that been going for you? Hey, well, uh, my wife and I have three teenage daughters, so lockdown has been busy. We have a, a busy household. Um, and uh, I've, I've been, been able to get on with plenty of artwork, which has been good. I finished off the Srebrenica project, uh, also working on some other paintings. There was supposed to be an exhibition uh, in a, 
in a gallery on Bath Street in Glasgow called the Glasgow Gallery. Uh, they usually get loads of uh, Joe Lomo's stuff. Yeah. And uh, so that's, I think that's been shifted to September. Possibly some of the Srebrenica paintings will be going into that, working on some other paintings. Um, there's, uh, there's uh, yeah, pluses and minuses with lockdown. There's some work that I've been able to concentrate on. There's some projects that had to be paused. Uh, there was a project I was going to do at the Church of Scotland's General Assembly uh, this year. Of course, that didn't happen at all. There was some work I was going to be doing at COP26 uh, in November. Of course, that's been shifted for a whole year. Um, so, yeah, you know, just trying to figure out uh, what, where things go slightly differently. Um, but uh, thankfully, one thing I'd done just before lockdown, you know, completely wasn't planning for lockdown. Nobody was planning for lockdown. Uh, but I had done a big photo shoot with a friend of mine who's an actor and has, has modelled for me a few times. Uh, so I've got plenty of material to still uh, work with there. And uh, because I'd, I'd finished in November in St George's Tron, I'd done up my studio at home. Um, so it's, it's quite a good space to be able to, to work in. And then, you know, other wee things come up. Um, certainly wasn't expecting opportunities like the Reflections at the Key uh, thing to come up. Um, so, yeah, you, you get nice wee surprises like that. That's great. And one of your daughters is... Uh... A fabulous artist. She is. Uh, she's really, really quite incredible. Uh, Jodie's. Get it. <laughs> uh, I, I blame her mother. <laughs> uh, well, my my wife and I met at art school actually, yeah. so it's it's not a huge surprise that uh, one of the kids would be particularly interested in art. Uh, and she's got a lockdown project that she's working on with Edinburgh Hospitals. Um, uh, which which is great. They they've got someone from each sort of ten year generation. So she's the the teenage one, and there's someone in their twenties, thirties, forties, etc. Um, so yeah, she's she's working on a whole load of portraits, um, specifically of older people uh, in lockdown. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting watching her develop as an artist. That's that's quite fun. I was. I said I was going to ask you two things, and I can't remember what the second one is, but I'll remember in a minute. Um, asked you about Jodie, and uh, it was probably about what on earth are you going to? You know, what's next? What's next is usually yeah. how we finish, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, there's some there's some what next things uh, that I can talk about and some what next things that I can't talk about. Secret um, things are always good. Well, uh, it's some stuff with Christian Aid uh, that we're trying to, it's, it's not secret, secret, but... Um, you can't tell a podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's that, that kind of thing. But, you know, we're, we're, we're doing some, uh, doing a kind of climate change uh, focus with them. Oh. And, um, yeah, there's uh, a project that we're trying another different project, trying to get some funding on that I can't talk about just yet. But um, I, I'm, I'm actually really excited about um, working with this gallery in the centre of mm. town uh, and uh, just exploring that area of, of work, trying to, 
tried to do the gallery thing because most of the stuff that I've been doing has been uh, commission based. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun exploring a different area of of art, um, and it's you know it's it's not an easy thing to to do art full time, uh, and and make it work financially. That's that's a, a juggle. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's nice exploring a, a different different area of that. Uh, One of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times is the kind of event stuff. Um, yeah. You know, and I suppose that's an extension of the kind of thing that you were doing at uh, the Tron. That that you know you, you you're painting in front of people. So while something's going on, you're trying to reflect some of that uh, in a piece of art. So mm. how how does that work? Well, it, it, generally it's all planned meticulously in advance um and you know i've I've done paintings at events like uh solace festival and greenbell and general assembly um and uh that's it's quite fun because there's there's the the interaction with folks and and there are very few visual artists who would do that kind of public engagement um but yeah, it's it's general it's generally quite planned. Uh, trying to make it up on the hoof uh, doesn't really work, especially if you're working specifically from photographs. So it is it is all quite planned. Um, but there's pluses and minuses with different environments. The year I did the general assembly um, it was not dis not dissimilar from working in St George's Tron because it was basically in a big cafe area, uh, which was in the rainy hall. Um, doing Greenbelt, I was in the Christian Aid tent, and it was a really hot August bank holiday, and I was melting, utterly melting in this marquee, and I was wearing all black. Uh, everyone was wearing shorts. I didn't even pack shorts. It was boiling. Um, so I, I think if I was doing events, I probably won't do a tent again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and do, the kind of like the paint's going to react differently. It does, yeah, yeah. Uh, if it's uh, if it's a really really hot day, it dries a lot faster. Uh, and even even oil paint, which normally you'd have about four hours of open time, um, uh, but yeah, it, it was it was drying a lot quicker, uh, which which is a, a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you you just kind of get on with things. Indeed. Portrait Artist of the Year, have you entered? When will we see you? I've not entered that before. Any time I've thought about entering, I've uh, I've always been slightly too late. I'll see an advert and it's like, oh, the applications are closed. Or like the three years I was doing St George's Tron, I was just too busy. I wouldn't have been able to set aside uh, the the time that I would need. But that would be fun. That would be fun. A friend of mine did it actually. Denise Finlay, fantastic portrait artist. And, and, and we'd met at art school. She was the year above me. Uh, and she's done nothing but painting portraits since art school. She does great. Uh, Prince Charles is one of her drawings. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, I, I, I'm pleasantly surprised that there is a space in reality TV for visual artists. That's, yeah. quite, that's quite nice. Even a little niche for everyone. Four hours. I was going to say, like, how do you, how do you, how would you, how do you think you would cope with the challenge of having to produce something like that in a much shorter time scale compared to what you would normally? Like, is that just something that artists get on with? 
Um, for that kind of thing, um, I'd seen one artist who did the the show, and his advice was practice lots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you've got a, a four hour time frame, see if you can get it done in three, because there'll be yeah. interruptions, and um, you, and you just need to tailor what you're going to achieve in mm. in that time. Um, if you're used to working in a way where you would paint a layer and let it dry for a few days, yeah, of course uh, you can't do that. That's yeah. not going to work. Uh, so yeah, you know, find find the right way of of working for that particular situation. Ian, thank you so much for giving us your time. Where can we find out um, about Srebrenica? Where should we go and look? Um, if you go onto the Remembering Srebrenica Scotland website, they've got some great stuff. Um, the, the four paintings that I've done are on my website as well, idcampbell.com. But yeah, if, if you go to the remember, Google Remembering Srebrenica Scotland uh, and you'll find lots of information there. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. thanks for having me.